Let's pray together as we go uh, before God's word, ask his spirit to open our hearts and prepare us to receive and to come under the authority of his word. Lord, we acknowledge our need. We come trembling before you, contrite and humble at your word. I'm praying, Lord, that you would uh, show us not only its meaning, but apply it to us, both as individuals and as a church. Holy Spirit, we need you to live and work amongst us, to call us out, to urge us on, to counsel us, to be that paraclete who, as our advocate and helper, is leading and guiding us into all the truth. We can't do that ourselves. We can't come up with uh, so much ingenuity as to think we'll understand that by ourselves. So we need you, and we call out to you in Jesus' name. Amen. But I ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. We are, for just another couple of weeks, today and next Sunday, going through some of these, what we call the Psalms or Songs of Ascents. And so we are looking this morning, the passage of Scripture upon which our teaching is based is coming from Psalm 130. Friends, hear the word of the Lord. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Psalm 130 is one of my favorite psalms. If I don't know if you noticed or remember, we have done it in confessions many times as it begins with that confession, out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, if you were to count iniquities, which of us could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore we're filled with the fear of the Lord, the wonder of the Lord, we worship him. But I discovered this week I've never, ever preached on it. So it's kind of uh, momentous in a sense. And one of the goals, one of the visions that we have as Jesus has given us the commission to go and make disciples of all nations, so as we're seeking in everything that we do to let the Spirit and the Word of God equip us that we may be faithful servants of His, is we want to be a people who are committed to the truth. We want to be people of truth. Now, one of the things, though, that we have to realize is how the truth of God's Word comes to us. God is sovereign, and He chose to deliver and inspire and give us the Word in a certain way. And the way He chose to do that is to put it in the form of a narrative, a grand narrative, a biblical story that we are called in our lives to indwell. As a matter of fact, I love, we're thinking of missions this morning, and one of my favorite missionaries from the last century is a man by the name of Leslie Newbigin, who's a former missionary to India, and he says, we are called to indwell the biblical story, the biblical narrative, as the true story of the whole world. And he said, Jesus Christ, as part of that story, is the clue to all that is. Now, God's story, this biblical grand narrative, something else we have to recognize is that it is multi-dimensional, not one-dimensional. 
If we're going to be people of truth, we have to realize that. If we want to have the mind of Christ, we have to recognize that the truth of God's word is complex. It's not just, you can't look at it through a single lens. It is multi-dimensional. We have to fight the tendency, and we all have this, to reduce or truncate the truth of God's word to kind of a single lens. So it's easy. Let's take grace and lamentation, which is really what this psalm is all about. It's easy to reduce grace, for example, to only forgiveness and justification. Now, is it that? Of course it's that. Great truths of the scripture. But grace is so much more. That lens is part of the truth. It's essential. It's vital. It's non-negotiable. But it's not the fullness of that truth. Our goal needs to be to see and understand and embrace the truth in all its fullness. Share a quick story. I remember in high school taking a photography class, and I loved that photography class. I was not the best student in high school. I can remember coming home with my report card to my dad and saying, don't look on the right side where physics and calculus and all those classes are. Ignore that. Dad, look, I got an A in gym and an A in photography. Can we look at the left side of the report card, Dad? Let's focus over there. Let's put our attention right there. Well, I remember that photography class, being able to go into the dark room and develop the pictures and play around with the various lens. In fact, I wish, I'm not into photography anymore. Part of me wishes uh, that I was, that we would still be able to do that. But see, here's the thing. We need to be able to take a wide lens on truth. See truth in its fullness, in its complexity, in its multidimensionality. Thus, being a church that rather than mirroring the culture, that focuses on just one thing, it's us versus them, we can instead look at the multidimensionality of the truth. We have to recognize that lamentation can also be like that. See, lamentation is not simply being sad. It's not simply owning your negative emotions and bringing them before the Lord. Of course, it is that. But widening out the lens We need to see the fullness of what God is doing in and through our laments, in and through our lamentation. And see, and that's what Psalm 130 is all about. Psalm 130 is part of the Psalms of Ascents, and it's clearly a lament before God. It begins with the words, out of the depths, I cry to you. It doesn't sound all that joyful. Anybody want to go to the depths? I mean, that doesn't sound like that's an overly joyful psalm. But it's through seeing the wide lens view of lamentation that we get to see three things of where the journey of lamentation can take us. We see the path of lamentation, we see the purpose of lamentation, and we can embrace and see the power of lamentation. So if you're willing to not just look at a single lens, but look at the fullness of truth, you can see the path that lamentation takes you on for a certain purpose to reveal and that we can bear witness in our lives to the power of lamentation. So let's take a look at each of these, widening the lens and looking at the fullness of God's truth. Verses 1 and 2 describe for us, it's the first stanza of this poem, and it describes for us the path of lamentation. It's not a fun path. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. This is obviously a psalm of lament. As the psalmist is crying out, out of the depths, I cry to you. Enter into the pain that he's experiencing. He is near despair. He has a sense of floundering. 
and terror. Much like the psalmist in Psalm 69 who says, Save me, O God, for the waters. Remember what the waters represent? They are a picture of chaos. The waters come up to my neck. I'm sinking in deep mire where there's no foothold. I've come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I'm weary with my crying out and my throat is parched. Maybe some of you have felt like that before. Maybe some of you are feeling like that even now. And I want to ask you a question. If this is your condition, if you're in the condition like the psalmist that says, out of the depths, I cry out to you. I am pleading to you. Hear my voice as I cry for mercy. Will self-help get you out of that kind of condition? I mean, is there a self-help fix? If I only take the right medicine, if I only watch the right show, if I only listen to the right this, if I only do this, is there some sort of self-help fix that gets you out of the depths, out of the flood, out of your throat is parched from crying day and night, out of the deep mire? I think one of the things the psalmist is alerting us to is the fact that self-help is obviously no answer to this condition, to the depths of distress. And maybe that's why we avoid this kind of distress at all costs. See, friends, let me ask you another question. Has grace awakened you to your true condition? Or are you still able to live in denial? And even as a Christian who has recognized you're a sinner that can't save yourself, sees your need for a Savior, and has turned in surrender and in faith and repentance to Jesus Christ for your salvation, but maybe in your sanctification you're still living in functional denial. You don't want to go down to the depths of your desperation and your need for moment by moment need for Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. See, maybe we're still able to live in denial because we have the ability to cover our condition, to avoid seeing it with busyness and distraction and pleasure and comfort and stuff. See, maybe we should take some time and examine Things like our schedules and our possessions, our social media involvement. Maybe we should look at these things. See, it's interesting that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So in other words, the way to get to comfort is to go through the path of mourning. And if you bypass the path of mourning, guess what you miss? You miss the comfort. Maybe that's part of the narrow path that Jesus is calling us to when he says, broad is the way and there are millions that are on it, but narrow is the path. Maybe that's more than just, not less than, but more than just the exclusivity of Jesus. Maybe that's not really experiencing Jesus in his fullness the way we were built to. And maybe lament is the only path to get us there. Maybe we need to follow the path of lament in order to get us to the purpose of lament. Which, if you look with me at verses 3 and 4, it reads, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? So now the nature of the depths is clearly revealed. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities. See, think about that. The reason why the psalmist is in the depths of despair, we've had other laments, and he's given other reasons. He's either homesick, or he's suffering an illness, or he's suffering some sort of depression or anxiety, attack from enemies. Here it's guilt, his need for mercy, his need for redemption. He says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, 
O Lord, who could stand? The writer Frederick Beekner put it this way. I think he put it very beautifully when he said, there is little we can point to in our lives as deserving anything but God's wrath. Our best moments, listen carefully, our best moments have been mostly grotesque parodies. Our best loves have been almost always blurred with selfishness and deceit. But there is something to which we can point. Not anything that we ever did or were, but something that was done for us by another. Not our own lives, but the life of one who died in our behalf and yet is still alive. This is our only glory and our only hope. And the sound that it makes is the sound of excitement and gladness and laughter that floats through the night air from a great banquet. If you, O Lord, should keep a record, should mark, should keep track of, should count sins, O Lord, which of us could stand? But now, friends, hear some of the greatest words written in the Bible. But with you, the unique one, the one who stands alone, the one whom, whom there is no other, the one who is holy, which means set apart, and that does not just mean morally rigid. With you, there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared. See, what is the purpose of forgiveness? It takes a surprising turn at this point. The purpose of grace. The psalmist declares that you may be feared. And obviously he doesn't mean a servile fear, cowering. With you there is forgiveness, therefore that we might stand in wonder, in awe. That we might do what we were built to do, and that is to worship. The fear of the Lord, being in wonder, of him. See, friends, what do you think? See, we were built to worship. We were created to worship. And I think a lot of times we look at our lives and we think, well, I'm really, you know, I'm apathetic towards worship. I don't see all of my life as worship, or I'm struggling with worship, or this. And then, you know, what oftentimes we start to do is we kind of beat ourselves over the head. We pound ourselves. We think, well, what needs to get from point A to point B is, I just need a, a little bit more pounding. Do you know what the Bible says? What gets us from point A to point B? Grace. With you there is forgiveness. That, and that word that, indicates purpose. With you there is forgiveness. That you may be feared. Exhortation, as great as it is, is not going to produce on fire an enkindled heart and mind of worship. Do you know what is? The forgiveness and the grace of God. See, listen to the scriptures that talk about, for example, in Psalm 103, he does not deal with us as our sins deserve. I mean, just take that in for a second. He does not deal with us according to that grotesque parody that Beekner was talking about. Our best loves being tinged with selfishness. See, the best you think you're loving... I'll, I'll pick on the husbands for a second. The best you're thinking you're loving your wife when she comes to you and you went, I'm going to listen this time. <laughs> I'm listening. Here, honey, I'm coming alongside. And I know you're sitting at the edge of the seat going, I, I, I got something to say. I'm ready. But you're going, but I'm going to love well. We always say, I love so well. Do we? Our best loves are tinged with selfishness. 
But God doesn't treat us according to our sins. Nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Does that sound like we're just a little forgiven? As far as the east is from the west, can you get any more forgiven than that? And yet we still live mired in guilt. And why is that? That you may be feared. If you are not worshiping him, it is you don't understand grace. It's not that you don't have to do better. It's not like buck up and work harder. It's like have the humility to recognize you don't get grace as much as you think you do. You think you've got it. You've got the intellectual formation and the theology of it. You can give the outline of it. But your heart doesn't taste the sweetness of grace. Or how the prophet Micah put it when he said, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Remember Paul Miller, Jack Miller's son, putting something in the discipleship class he was teaching, and he was teaching on this verse, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. And he said, and there's a sign put on the shore that says no fishing allowed. God has cast all our sins into the depths of the sea, and what are we doing? I've got that one. Let me pull that one up. I could pull that one up again. Anybody do that? I do that all the time. You know why? Because we really don't get grace. The path of lamentation out of the depths leads to the purpose of lamentation. But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore you are worshipped. Therefore you are feared. Therefore we stand and wonder and we say, who is a God like you? And it leads finally to the power of lamentation. See, remember I said before we have to look at things as not just through a single lens, but we have to widen our lens. So I think so often we think to ourselves, grace is just kind of that warm, fuzzy, subjective, emotional experience. Isn't that nice? I'm forgiven. We forget. See, that's not a wide enough lens. That's a single lens. The wide lens is that grace transforms. And it's grace that trains. It's Titus that says, for it is the grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Did you get that? Look that up later. In Paul's letter to Titus, the grace of God, not the exhortation of angry Jeff, not the exhortation of you parents that think, I'm just going to beat it into my children. But the grace of God trains you to say no to ungodliness, which means if you see ungodliness in your life, do you know what we need? We need more grace. It means we don't understand grace. It is grace that is a power. It is the very, what does Romans say? What does Paul say in Romans chapter 1? The gospel is, doesn't describe, doesn't define, but is the very power of God for salvation. And how does grace transform us? Look with me at verse 5. The psalmist says, and notice the, the tone changing. He now says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, my soul, I hope. 
More than what? I wait for the Lord. More than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his journey. What does the transforming power of grace look like? In a nutshell, it looks like faith, hope, and love. Paul says, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Look at this. Verse 5, I wait for the Lord. That takes an awful lot of faith, don't you think? And what does the book of Hebrews say about faith? It's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It takes faith to wait for the Lord. There's the picture. It's in his word, I hope, and my soul waits for the Lord. How? More than watchmen are waiting for the morning. In other words, what do watchmen do? They're in the darkness. And the darkness is deep and the darkness is great. And they're going, well, I anticipate it. I'm waiting for the morning. I'm waiting for the dawn. I'm waiting for it. It takes faith to do that. Grace produces faith. And notice what he's waiting for. He waits for the Lord. Grace also produces relationship. He's not simply interested in escape from punishment. He's not simply interested in relief of guilt. He's not simply interested in silencing a noisy conscience. He's waiting for the Lord himself. He is interested in the Lord. He's interested in relationship. He is interested in communion. See, the power of lament producing faith leads to relationship as he waits for the Lord. And then the psalmist moves from just his individual experience, his individual journey to calling the community to hope. He says, oh Israel, here he is out of the depths. I've cried to you for mercy, but with you there is forgiveness. Now my soul is waiting. Israel, community, people of God, join me. What are we going to do? Let's put our hope in the Lord. Which leads to the last thing. And that is love. He says, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. And that's the great Hebrew word, hesed, which is the word for God's covenant love, his covenant faithfulness, his commitment to and his promise that he will never let you go. That he is committed to you, that he won't leave you or forsake you. That he is faithful to his own word and his own promise. This goes back to, and in his word I put my hope. What is the word revealing? It is revealing God's covenant faithfulness. And then he says, and with him is plentiful redemption. And I love that. Not just redemption. Plentiful redemption. Redemption that fills. Redemption that satisfies. Redemption that's more and more and greater and greater. Friends, the journey of lamentation, and maybe this is why I go back to what I asked earlier, and that is to examine ourselves and say, am I avoiding lamentation? Am I avoiding this journey? Because here's the truth. Lament changes us. Dan Allender writes, he says, suffering always changes the human heart. Sometimes for good and often for ill. We are faced with the challenge of learning how to wrestle with sorrow so I can bring about the greatest good. In Isaiah 53, Jesus is described, the suffering servant is described as a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Yet, never once did he deal with reality by turning to dark cynicism, or blasé acceptance, or angry strength, or empty hope. 
God promises us redemption, but his sacred path leads us away from safety, predictability, and comfort. Any attempt to fly over the dangerous terrain or make a detour to safer ground is doomed because it will not take us to God. Instead, it leads us to a host of other idols that can't provide us with the confidence of faith, the dynamic of hope, the passion of love that we so deeply crave. Friends, we live in a world and we live in a climate where Satan is using everything he can to destroy faith, hope, and love. He's doing everything he can to destroy faith and hope and love. But friends, listen, if we put our hope in his word, in his plentiful redemption, in the fullness, not just the single lens, but the fullness of his word, the truth, our journey of lament can take us through its path, reaching its purpose, and embodying its power, having us display in our lives and in our witness its power because, as Paul wrote to the church at Rome, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Lord, I pray that we would be a people. I think of one of the, thi- one of the commands that you gave most often, and that was to fear not, to live fearlessly. And I think if we could be a little bit less fearful, less suspicious, and trust ourselves to you. Maybe we wouldn't avoid lament. We would enter into its path, going into its depths, in order to see its purpose, that its purpose is to bring us to kind of a white-hot worship of you. That we would recognize with you there is grace, with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared And that the power of lamentation would take hold in our lives that we would live lives of faith, live lives of hope, and live lives of love. And in that way, maybe grow in grace and grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and grow in our discipleship and our following of him. It's a dangerous journey, but I pray that we would not be afraid to take it. We would trust your spirit to take us faithfully and see us through. In Jesus' name, amen.